Manufacturing Mankind by Stuart Hardy You may not consider the new variants to be proper humans, at least in the traditional sense. The original blueprints had to be reshaped and repurposed in order to meet the requirements of potential investors. Droidkind would only ever have wanted humanity back again if there was some kind of financial incentive to do it, just like with any business venture. Designed to see to an android's every need, the naked and genderless blobs of synthetic material vaguely resemble something that the old humans used to refer to as a eunuch. This new brand of human was designed by Professor 1289-B, and they were his proudest achievement. He studied bioengineering at the University of 00110011 for phase one of his life cycle. The professor had always been a human enthusiast. He'd spent much of his life as a young android at the Human Museum in Sector 4011D, where robots with a keen interest in archaeology would wander around and look at the artifacts of the dead world the humans had left behind. Humans used to dedicate so much of their lives to cataloguing and archiving their experiences. They'd take pictures of one another. They would write records of events that they were involved in. They would send each other pictures of their genitalia. We're not sure why. There was no shortage of records to loosely base the new models on. It wasn't as though a faithful recreation of humanity was impossible, but it turned out that financially, it was highly impractical. A smaller company that wants to design a more faithful recreation of mankind has been granted funding in recent years. Their eventual aim is to set up human zoos. The production lines are a true marvel in modern manufacturing. The factory offers tours through the entire human production process on a regular basis. The tourists will watch as a team of dedicated androids delicately assemble the skeletons made of synthetic bone marrow piece by piece. They'll then apply a bonding agent before hanging them on hooks and sending them off to the factory floor for skinning. The fleshless skeletons are carried upright by automated conveyors made up of metal hooks into the warehouse. The vast and expansive production lines are laid out in a neat fashion across a three-tiered warehouse system that's separated by steel grill floors that guests can walk along and observe the human crafting process. On the top floor, the hooks carry skeleton after skeleton through multiple sets of machines called stringers. The stringers comprise of many spider-like arms that swiftly thread the skeleton's ligaments with strong muscles and tendons that make the human suitable for hard labour. The robotic tendrils neatly circle the bodies in a dance of human wiring before passing the muscle-bound, fleshless products onto the next stage. 
The bodies are then laid on a conveyor belt and sent down to the next floor, where separate production units fit them with hearts, lungs and digestive systems that have come pre-packed from a different factory. The digestive pack is a very basic sack of organs designed to efficiently digest the grass, cud and weeds that make up the diet of your average human. Once fitted with the organs, the bodies will be passed on to a team of droids who thread the major veins and arteries by hand. The sets of mechanical arms on the final floor are there to coat the bodies in an imitation human flesh, being pumped from molten vats across the floor of the factory. The motorised hands weave the doughy substance across the bodies before passing the human along to the next stage, where it is immediately sprayed with coolant. The artificial flesh will harden and give the human that thick hide that's tough to penetrate. The human will then be moved on to a set of arms brandishing rolls of adhesive skin tape that they then use to neatly patch the bodies and tightly seal in the flesh. completed humans are stood upright on conveyor belts and sent through to quality control, where one after another they're examined by a team of trained medical droids who are there to test their motor functions. When a human has slow response times or shows signs of emotion and distress, they'll be siphoned off into a storage wing for fault testing. We keep failed humans in storage so we can study them. We're fairly sure that most of the faults are down to the brain manufacturer. The faulty humans murmur to themselves, they scream and holler, and they make a cute little string of whiny noises. We had to divide the mentally defective humans into separate straw-bedded hutches after we had multiple instances of cannibalism in the old cohabitation dwellings. One particularly disturbing account by a colleague saw him walking in to feed the humans in their pen early one morning, and he found that a few of them had smashed a smaller one's head in overnight. They'd torn through the flesh of the smaller human's head, cracked his skull open, and the group of them were feasting on the brain inside. The cleanup took forever, it was a horrible mess. The brain company swears they fixed what they thought was the problem, but our fail rate is still at around 30%. No one's able to explain it. Rest assured, we have filed many complaints with the brain company over this issue. If after multiple tests we still can't fix the problem, we usually just recycle the human and send the raw materials back round to the start of the process again. There's no point in keeping a defective human. No need to waste perfectly good components. The finished humans that pass their tests are put on sleep mode and loaded into the warehouse and stacked on racks, ready to be sent off to the packing facility next morning. They're typically kept in the warehouse overnight, just to check if any irregular humans have been missed by the medical droids. All of the humans stand stock still and lifeless. 
The examination scanners pan across the rows and rows of the same six templates of empty human faces. They all stare dead ahead with their black, beady little eyes as the scanner confirms their status. We have six templates for humans because of the professor's insistence that not all humans should look exactly alike. The company originally only wanted two, male and female. Cosmetically male and female, of course. As stated, they have no genitalia. But the professor argued that some customers might want to have some variety in the appearance of their human. So we have six templates. There's male, female, androgynous, male 2, female 2, and 80s. We're planning on releasing a special edition child human for the holiday period. The humans are herded into a fleet of trucks and sent off to the packing facility, where they're shrink-wrapped and boxed. The boxes are plastered with the company logo and product specifications, and have a transparent film over the face and upper body, showing the short, black-eyed human staring out at customers from store shelves. A human will outlive its usefulness eventually, just like a machine. They'll freeze up, stop doing what you tell them to, parts will get worn and torn or broken, or it'll just end up getting too old and tired to keep up with the work you need it to do. It'll probably be cheaper and more efficient in the long run just to buy a new one instead of struggling along with an aging human that's passed its sell-by dates. We stamp the sell-by dates on their asses. There are many ways that you can take care of an old human, but the preferred method is to purchase a home destruction kit and take it to the local recycling centre, where it will be filtered out into component materials. The home destruction kit is comprised of a cheap powdery substance that you can get in a local hardware store. It comes in a shaker, so all you need to do is order your human to stand still, slide the grill on the shaker open, and gently shake the powder over your human's head and shoulders. The powder will desiccate the skin, start loosening the flesh, and begin the biodegrading process so the matter can be recycled. You then take your human to a local recycling center within 24 hours of using the powder. All of the robots herd their humans into a trash compactor. The humans are stood bolt upright alongside each other in order to save space. Once filled, the compactor will then slowly edge down upon the sea of zombified, decaying human faces, and squish their bodies against the metal grate below. The dead flesh and bone will be heavily ground down through the small holes in the grate. The human paste will then be fed through the turbines and separated out into blood, flesh, organ and bone powders. The powders are then reconstituted into raw materials, and fed back through the process to make a new human again. You're given a code to scan when you leave the facility, and a replacement will get dispatched immediately. Within two to three working days, you'll receive a new human from a courier service, open the box, find the start button, turn your human on, and life will continue as normal.
The human will go about the house doing its chores. The human will work in the factories, engineering centers, public services, the arts, whatever you want, but most androids just use them for household chores. That's what humans spent most of their lives doing back in the old days anyway, so the professor thinks that for all the compromises he's had to make, he's kind of been faithful to God's original vision for humanity. Kind of. You may get the odd feeling of deja vu when you look into your replacement human's black eyes. Many robots have reported this sensation, but we can't explain it yet. You just look at its flesh, its skin, but most importantly its eyes, and you start thinking about the fact it's been here before. Your human has been reincarnated using the genetic material of old humans. And that's kind of faithful to the original humans as well, isn't it? Isn't that what they always were in the end? Genetic material passed down through the generations, mass-produced, recycled, and ordered to repeat the same basic tasks over and over again on a regular basis. We're fairly sure the humans appreciate the effort that's gone into recreating them. They're very stupid, of course, but they sometimes do this thing where their mouths point upwards in that adorable smiling shape, and we think that's a good sign. Just look at his little face. Oh, it's almost as if he understands. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this piece, why not consider contributing to the crowdfunder for my short film on Indiegogo? The film's called Got Your Nose, and link to more information is in the description. I'd also like to thank the following funders on my Patreon at patreon.com slash stewbagfull. A. Maxwell Alastair McPherson Aniron Hunt Chris Lim Chris P. Connor Pape Dave Sanders Deneb Jennifer Milligan Joel Joanna Kirkpatrick Louise Wade Matthew Brench Max Kennedy, Michael Graham, Oxbow is Amsty, Pastelwitch, and Robert Conway. Thanks for listening. <laughs>